All right. So it is a real privilege for us this morning to have Richard Drury with us uh, here today. He works for the Barnabas Aid of New Zealand as the South Island Coordinator. Just to give you a little bit of a heads up on who Richard is and what he's done. He's been a minister actually in a, in a number of church movements in New Zealand, in the UK. He is taught in, hang on, let me get the right country, Uganda. Um, in a uh, Bible college there. He's also taught in Annersbrook Bible College in Nelson as well. And so Richard is a really fascinating guy and I've really enjoyed our connections and chats over the year. He's been and actually ministered in a life group as well earlier this year. So how about we just jump to our feet. Let's put our hands together and welcome up Richard as he comes to minister this morning. Thank you so much, Glenn, and Debbie, and the crew, and for two things particularly that struck me this morning. One was the fantastic welcome. Uh, I'm kind of not used to it, so it's overwhelming, and uh, testimony to the fact that uh, your enthusiasm for the Lord is, is, is palpable. Thank you so much. So the welcome, the second thing that's um, <coughs> struck me is your determination to worship God, and uh, that's a great privilege to be a part of. And one of the things that has immediately struck me. So thank you so much. Uh, I will be remiss of me not to say that um, in the back there, or well, in the coffee area, we, I have free literature. Uh, if you really want to know about Barnabas Aid, then this is the shop window of Barnabas Aid. It's a magazine printed six times a year. And uh, it's absolutely free. You can sign up for it if you want to get it to your door or uh, <coughs> on your phone or uh, at email. This is the next best thing that we publish, which is uh, a little booklet of the, we work in 109 countries actually, uh, probably do about three to 400 projects a year. Uh, but this will give you a taste of each country, not all 109, but at least uh, a lot of them. Uh, and that will give you the main things to pray for. Uh, tremendous prayer fuel. And uh, I thought I had a reasonable grasp on mission, but the last three years um, has taught me so much about uh, my job, which is introducing you to members of the family. That, that's my job. And I'm really passionate that we have a real sense of belonging to the worldwide church and that, they be, and that they are part of your life and you are part of their life. And that's really, that, that's really my main motivation uh, for this role. I've really enjoyed lots of different roles in the past, but I'm enjoying this one too. Uh, lastly, uh, this is our 30th anniversary as Barnabas Aid, and once again, I've only got about 10 or so of these, but please feel free, uh, again on the table at the back, these are, these are yours to take, uh, and uh, if you know somebody who might be interested in one, you're very, very uh, glad if you would do that. Uh, almost impossible job for me this morning, which is trying to do a, a sort of man thing, which is uh, multiple tasking. Uh, that is to both preach and also inform you a little bit about Barnabas. But my main point is to uh, speak to you this morning uh, about hope. Let's see if our <coughs> thing is working. I haven't got the back screen there. All oh, right, so I'll have to uh, go there. That's fine. Uh, I'd like to... Um, 
go backwards to say that my main, let's see if I can get out of the way of this, so that would be great. It's not, not interested in me. Uh, my main uh, task is to answer a question I've been asking myself and I hope churches, uh, for it's my privilege to be across the denominational spectrum and across theological lines. I've probably been to about 150 churches uh, over the last couple of years and I'm getting to know them. Uh, but my main thing is, is really for us to answer a question for two years. John Wesley said once that if you haven't preached the sermon 100 times, you probably don't know that sermon. Uh, so I will have probably looked at this talk maybe 20 or 30. But I, the more I sort of go th into it, the more I am I'm being touched by the Lord. And I hope that that's going to happen to you. Because the question I put to myself is, what can we learn from the persecuted stroke suffering church? Barnabas Aid has worked now for amongst uh, persecuted suffering church for at least 30 years and before that 25 years Patrick the founder and his wife and Caroline have built up an organization that was <coughs> interacted with uh, with with many uh, different cultures particularly reaching out to Muslims who had turned to Christ and particularly now it's it's suffering and persecution is is everywhere in fact I'll say to you it's on your doorstep and so what can I learn, what can we learn from the suffering church? And one of the things I think is hope. What a real biblical hope is. This is not the sense of, oh, I hope it might rain tomorrow or be sunny, but a real confident expectation. This is biblical hope. Confident expectation that what God says, he will deliver. And I can trust it. That's hope. That's biblical hope based on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our living hope. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to have to rush through at breakneck speed because I've thrown in a couple of clips as well. But here we are. If you want to follow a Bible passage, I'm going to take the first five verses of Romans chapter 5 and talk from there and include uh, some things about Barnabas aid. Here we go. Paul writes... Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and that's the, that's the the, uh, the the thing this morning is what is a biblical hope and what can I learn from the scriptures about that and from my brothers and sisters and so the bases of a suffering hope. And the first thing I want to say is that if I look around the room and count of all the number of years experience, young and old, I'm going to guess that if I come back in five or 10 years time, your most profound experiences of growing as a Christian will have some element of suffering attached to it. It's going to be at some stage, not the question of a philosophical treatise in the Bible, but uh, the idea 
that there will be some elements of difficulty or suffering or something that you have to overcome. And we learned this morning through our worship that we are overcomers in Christ. And most of us want to get to that position without the suffering. But th this passage teaches us that it's actually through the experience that one begins to learn about a Christian hope. There's all sorts of hopes around the world. And, and um, the scripture tells us in, on lots of places, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, if we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most authorized version miserable. Most miserable people on the planet are those who are in despair, ultimately. Yes, they try and G, G, G themselves up, try and get their lives going, but without hope, they are literally, Bible says, miserable. Tyndale's version says, miserableist, an old-fashioned English term. Paul also says in Ephesians 2 and 12, his, he will say that before we became Christians, we were without God and without hope in the world. Do you remember that? He also wrote to the Thessalonian church in chapter 4 and verse 13 and said to them, look guys, I know that you're concerned about those who have died in the faith or those who are asleep, according to the scriptures, but I don't want you to grieve for we're not people who grieve as those who do not have hope. There it is again. And so in this chapter five of Romans, you'll notice that hope is mentioned three times, and that's really helpful for <coughs> uh, my structure. But let's have a listen, first of all, to some of the people that Barnabas Aid work with. Let's listen to uh, Alina. My name is Alina, and I'm from Iraq. Alina is one of the thousands of Christian children displaced from the Middle East. Um, I felt like really anxious and nervous and at the same time I was like really sad because I thought something was going to happen to my family. Her pregnant mother was martyred when she was only six years old. She, along with her grandmother and her father, had to escape from Iraq in 2015. Um, we went to Turkish. We were walking until we arrived to Sweden. Then, um, after Sweden, um, yeah, we stayed there for a while, like for two and a half years, I think. And then we left there, we went to Italy, um, yeah. After Italy, they ended up in the jungle, in France. When we were in jungle, my dad was like carrying me and all, and then like um, a man approached us and then like, yeah, I started hurting my family, but then we got, like, really hungry because we did not have any food. In the dead of night, human traffickers forced them at gunpoint into a rubber raft and pushed them into the sea. All I remember is I fainted, and the last things I heard and saw was that my nan said that he saw a shark, and, like, the boat was, like, really jiggly, and I thought that we were going to, like, sink. Next morning, the British Coast Guard spotted them and rescued them. If they weren't spotted that morning, they would not have survived. They gave me a blanket and yeah, they made me, they made me like um, all warm and cozy so that I felt better because I was shaking so much. Her family are currently seeking asylum in the UK. They're happy that they can practice their faith here. 
12-year-old Alina knew who was with them during this trial. My favorite like um, thing was when, yeah, he died on the cross for us. He um, truly loved us, and if someone truly loved you, they would also, um, sacrifice their life for you. My name is my name is Alina, and I'm from Iraq. Oops. So, what can I learn from people like Alina? In her six years, she seems to have lived several lifetimes, uh, but at the end of it, she has a living hope. For if someone is prepared to sacrifice their lives for you, they love you, and it's right at the heart of our Christian faith is a suffering Savior who is prepared to demonstrate that love in giving himself completely away, could not have given any more. And that therefore results in a true biblical hope. And so I'm not talking to you about the problem of suffering today, not really, there are other avenues for that. There is a book at, that Patrick's written called The Mystery of Suffering, uh, it's absolute snip uh, at the price. But I'm talking about hope through suffering. And that's what I'm wanting to learn from people like Alina. Um, and uh, what I want to say is, if you look at your text at the beginning here, Paul had said, therefore, he'd reached, four, after four chapters, he'd said, therefore. Now, I want you to think about this, because the old exegetes would say, if you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask the question, what is it therefore, right? And so he has taken four chapters to reach this period. And he's taken four chapters to reach the phrase, which says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he's moving us from a position, from chapter 1, verse 1, to a position where we fall short of the glory of God, to those who now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. How, he's, how has he done this? Well, uh, just for a couple of minutes, it's worth just thinking back through how we've arrived at this point. Uh, now, before I do this, I want to put, put your hand up if you're not a member of the human race. <laughs> uh, there are some students who actually tried to uh, tempt me one time, but that's good because the Apostle Paul is addressing every person who's lived, is living, will live. Members of the human race. No exceptions, no special people, no exceptions to the, to the rule. All of us are involved in this text. And the Apostle Paul has shown, and for three chapters and 20 verses more or less, he has shown that actually all members of the human race have decided to go against their maker and their redeemer and decided to go their own way. In fact, really their agenda, my agenda, has been before I became a Christian for me to be God. I wanted to be God. I wanted to run my life and I wasn't interested in God. Now, Paul has said that three terrible exchanges took place from chapter 1, verse 20, through to about 26. And in wanting to speak to the Christians in Rome, he says, look, I want to really move on to Spain, but can you give me a, a billet for the night or for that? Because, But while I'm here, I really want to speak to you people in Rome. I'd really love to share a, a spiritual experience together, offer you a gift, and tell you about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed 
from first to last, so that the just will live by faith. And then he goes on to say, well, look, the problem is that in this revelation of the good news is actually a revelation of terrible, awful news, which is that all humanity at each point in every culture and every person has said no to God. And they've shook their fist at God. They may well be very, very nice to talk to and look at, but inside their hearts are, I don't want your way. And when I hear the good news, often it's a revelation of actually how dark people have become when they first hear the good news. And Paul goes on to say in chapter 1, verse 18, that three terrible exchanges took place so that human beings became darkened in their hearts and their foolish minds had become darkened. How could that possibly have happened? First, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Instead of worshipping the creator, they started to worship creation. The second terrible exchange that took place was that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This good news that you're telling me about, I consider it a lie. And so I'm going to listen to other things and other ways to God. And then the worst thing that took place, because a perverted understanding of who God is leads to a perverted way of thinking. The Bible calls it foolish. You can't think straight, actually. And so what happens then is your thinking begins to act perverse. Perverse understanding, misunderstanding of God leads to a perverse lifestyle. And so the apostle says all of humanity are subject to this and he says that to the point that every mouth chapter 3 verse 10 and then verse 20 should be stopped no one can say but i'm different and then he goes on to explain how he sent his son who in his own body bore that falling short that sin that deliberate rebellion against god in his own body on the tree and the good news is that he absorbed and took all of that shame and punishment and rottenness and perversion and wants to offer a new life because he died in my place and he died in your place so that you could have new life. And then Paul explains that the process is that God found somebody who believed these promises. There's a guy called Abraham in the Old Testament, and he told him an unbelievable thing, an impossible thing, that at the age of 99 or so, pretty much 100, and Sarah at, or Sarai at uh, 99, that all his promises for the world were going to come through his loins, as it were, through his, really, as, as Abraham and Sarah looked at each other and thought, really? Uh, but God found somebody who said, he promised this. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the way through to a relationship with God is to believe his promises. And when you believe his promises, that opens the gateway into a living relationship. And so here, hope is through that process, is that Paul says, having gone through all this, I'm writing to you now to say, look, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we are now rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Can you see the difference? He's explained the way to God and now says, this is the way 
Christians uh, explain how to come into a relationship with God. This is now what Christians look like. They are those who are now rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Now. I hope you're not waiting for it. It's now. That's what it says. And that's very important for the way the tenses are used in this passage. And so what that means is that whatever the now experience is for you, hope in God is that you are still unbelievably rejoicing through it. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Do you remember somebody saying that? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, there's that word, and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Beloved, Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. But there it is. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So hope in the Bible is those who are now rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, whatever their circumstances are. And, Paul, and the Lord Jesus said that actually, if you're in a position where somebody's making it really difficult for you to live, whether that's physically whether it's mentally or spiritually, if you're at the point of some real hardship in your experience, Jesus said that you are blessed in that situation because the intimacy with God can be revealed to you. And so in Acts chapter 12, we have these two accounts. One is James. He's the apostle. And Herod Agrippa thinks it's party time. It's Passover. I know what I'll do to amuse the Jews. I'll put James to the sword, which is cutting his head off. I know what I'll do is I'll invite Peter to come to the jail, and we can be entertained also by his death. In one case, one apostle following Christ with the same hope gives his life. Some of our Christians in Ethiopia have a tattoo, and that tattoo is a good reason for a tat is that part of their family or one of their family members have martyred. They've been a witness in their death, and it's been a privilege. It's a badge. It's a badge of honor. Someone in my family, following Christ, had the joy of giving their life in following the Master. And they are a witness, not to themselves, but a witness to the one who freely gave himself everything that he was, perfect, who didn't need to die, but took death in his own body on the tree. And so Barnabas seeks to be um, uh, tokens of hope for our fellow brothers and sisters. And do you remember what happened to Peter? Gloriously, gloriously delivered. When the angel of the Lord came at night, doors started opening, shackles fell to the ground, he hit the cool midnight air, and he thought, is it a dream? No, man, this is real. One gives his life. One is gloriously delivered. Same hope, different circumstances. And the Bible is not coy about putting those same experiences together. One suffered terribly. One gloriously delivered. Same hope. 
no excuse. So we want to be tokens of hope, and therefore at Barnabas, moving on, as we have opportunity, we want to be especially a token of hope and opportunity for those who are Christians. From Christians, through Christians, to Christians, they know where the real needs are. They know where schools should be built. They know where people are starving. They know, and so we, we put a great deal of responsibility in working together with our brothers and sisters in Christ to get food on the front line to Ukraine or to an earthquake in Turkey. Uh, we've probably fed about 65 million people last year, and we, our work is, is, is sort of condensed down to sort of a dozen areas. And uh, at times, like in the home groups, I get a chance to talk a little bit more about that, which I could do for hours, but not here. But that gives you the sense. The Apostle Paul says, not only that, not only have I just described to you what a biblical hope is, that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces, there's that word again. I've got a mate who is um, still my best man, he'd be married, um, uh, but at Bible college he had this uh, 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 picture uh, uh, across his bed, and it was of a two-toed sloth slumped across a chair. Across this sloth that was slumped like this, he said, if only I could get that sense of achievement, dot, 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 without actually achieving anything. Yes, because most of us want achievement without the hard work. Most of us want to get straight, do not pass go, collect our 200, and most of us want to have this hope without the suffering, without the endurance, without the character that's produced. And that may take years in your life. But it's, it's like Job, when he tries me, I'll come forth as gold. And so this hope produces tremendous characters. I'm going to read you a story. Everybody loves a story um, about some of the characters that we work with and that's produced through a living hope. Um, I could talk about all of them, but I want to talk about the bottom right. Here's the story. A group of 500 Nigerian Muslim background Christians who gathered together for safety after a string of Boko Haram attacks were later attacked again by the Islamist militant group. Most escaped apart from 76 men, women and children who were taken captive. The 76 were taken to a Boko Haram terrorist camp where they were tortured. The four male leaders of the group were told at gunpoint to renounce their faith in Christ and revert to Islam. When they refused, holding fast to their saviour, the men were shot in front of their families and friends. The following week, the wives of the four martyred men were also ordered to renounce their faith or their children would be executed. As the mother struggled under this terrible burden into the night, the children came running in and said that the Lord Jesus had appeared to them and all would be well. According to the account, the Lord Jesus then appeared to all of the group and told them not to fear, that he would protect them, that they should not renounce him, but stay strong, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The next morning, the children, one, a girl as young as four, were lined up against the wall by the terrorists, and their four mothers were told that they could save them if they renounced Jesus Christ and returned to Islam. 
The mothers refused. The soldiers cocked their rifles and prepared to take aim. When they suddenly started to grab at their heads, screaming, shouting, snakes, snakes. Some ran away. Others dropped down dead where they stood. As one of the soldiers fell down dead, a Christian captive reached down to pick up the soldier's gun to fire at the fleeing Boko Haram militants. But the youngest child put her hand on his arm and said, you don't need to do that. Can you not see the men in white fighting for us? Back in 2019, that was. But for every story of the bottom right, we have a story of the left. I say a story, probably 20 stories of a pastor who's been kidnapped and says goodbye to his family. You look at the background, you'll see it's the Daesh or the ISIS flag and the traditional way of killing from the days, <coughs> early days of Islam is a beheading. So for every story on the right, there'll be a story on the left and there'll be a few stories on the top right as well. Someone tell me where this took place for Ulelaway Ilasamni. Where do you think that took place? Yeah, that repressive nation called the UK, the United Kingdom. A man decides to read from the Gospel of John in the authorised version. He upsets someone who tells the police who arrest him. You can watch it on video as he, as he says, please don't take my Bible, please don't take my Bible. Should have thought of that, sir, before you started preaching. Coming soon to you, suffering because you believe in Jesus and because you're prepared to follow him and assert that fact. In our laws in New Zealand, already here. Last point, the apostle says, as he speaks to us, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is a gift reward. You can't whip it up. You have to stand humbly and receive it, following, swallowing your pride. You died for me. Please give me hope. It's also something that can be learned, not earned, through life, and often through life's difficulties. If it's difficult for you at the moment, look at the goal. God is maturing you in Christ. He's causing in you the character of the Lord Jesus to be formed. And that difficulty, he will be with you through it. That's Christian hope. It's not denying the fact that it's happened. It's walking through Christ, with Christ beside you. But last of all, Paul says, hope is, does not put us to shame. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this hope is shared. It's shared across the world. The same love that's in your hearts that's been put there through the Holy Spirit from Jesus is in the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Apostle Paul will say in Corinthians 12 that we're part of this body. And at one stage he will say something tremendously challenging. He will say, I want you to offer the same care to one another. The same care. The same care as you care for the person sitting next to you, you should be offering to your brother and sister X thousand miles away. You may never have heard of them. But being part of the body of Christ means you feel 
the way he feels and you respond the way he responds. So this is what a biblical hope looks like. Let's listen to Samim coming to the end. The Taliban is uh, the persons that they don't have any patience or they don't have uh, they don't want to hear about any reason just if they know you were Christian yeah so Twenty-five-year-old Samim is a trained pharmacist from Kabul, Afghanistan. Growing up, he always questioned his Islamic faith. Allah is God, they said. But in my mind, on that time, I uh, believed on him also. But it was a kind that I didn't receive any uh, peace, any blessing for, uh, from him. Samim started to question his faith even more when he learned about jihad. If Muslims uh, want to uh, go and kill someone, on that time they said that Allah said to all of us, if other people don't accept me, on that time you can kill them. Samim did not agree with this doctrine and he knew what was being taught in the name of jihad was wrong. Only God has this right to take the life of a person. Nobody else. It was not just only one uh, reason. Uh, I had a lot of reasons because of this. The more reasons he had, the more hunger he felt in his heart to know who God truly was. Then one day, he found a Christian Facebook page where he read that Jesus is the Son of God. It became a question for me. Why they are uh, saying that Jesus is a uh, Son of God? Why uh, they said that we are the son and daughter of God? On that time, I started to search about that. Until now, Samim only knew of a God that told people to kill. So he was intrigued to know about the God who called us his children. Along the way, he also made a profound discovery in the Quran. In Quran, I found a verse that on there said that Jesus Christ was a person that only him raised a date. He's God. Samim kept searching and found a Christian mentor online who sent him a digital Bible. When he began to study the Word of God, he found out how God sent his one and only son to die for our sin. You know that on that time, I couldn't imagine that how I was happy. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that I found the true God and He is always with me. After that, if I uh, went outside from my house, if, if, everywhere that I wanted to go, on that time, I felt that I have a person that He is protecting me. He is working on my life. He has a big plans for me. Samim decided to follow Jesus. However, the path he had now taken wasn't an easy one. This is a tense night in Afghanistan. The Taliban are back in charge after 20 years and the deaths of thousands of foreign soldiers and Afghan civilians. Thousands of Afghans are now trying to escape, fearing a return to hardline Taliban rule. Christians were under threat when the Taliban took over. According to Islam, kafirs, meaning the people who have walked away from their faith, 
should be killed, and Samim was one of them. So he fled to Pakistan, which was the nearest open border to safety. However, he knew that as a Christian convert, Pakistan was not going to be a long-term solution for him. So he kept praying. And as he was praying, God opened doors for him to go to Brazil with the help of Barnabas Aid, who were rescuing Afghani Christians from Pakistan and resettling them in Brazil with the support of local churches. I have everything here. I am so grateful from my God to provide everything for me here. To can go to church and pray and a freedom and everywhere, not only church, I'm free. I can worship God, I can pray, I can be with my God. We are so grateful for the support of our generous partners at Barnabas Aid. With your prayers and gifts, we have been able to bring freedom to many other Christian Afghani refugees like Samim. To those people that uh, they are donor of uh, Barnabas Aid, they must continue their uh, helping. Jesus Christ, told everything for all of us that we have to help each other. We have to uh, help our brothers and sisters in God as they helped us and other families that they are uh, right now in safe place in Brazil. God will use them and God will uh, give the mercy and blessing to all of them. Where I was and right now where I am, that is only because of my God because of Jesus Christ. What can we learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ? A biblical hope. That's what it looks like. Uh, we managed to rescue 400 families from Afghanistan and support 400 on the borders of Afghanistan. So you'll know that if you're a convert, you're under a death sentence under the Taliban regime and they'll go door to door and they'll check your phones. So, last 45 seconds. I want to work with the Rangioran churches because we have an initiative called Food.Gives and uh, it'd be really great if you felt you could be a part of this because food will be one of the major issues for um, people across the world, but particularly Christians at the bottom of the pile. I want to play you this last clip and um, please pray that um, that God will um, move in your hearts how he wants to. And that's um, waiting for the latest instructions on that. So um, Baptist Church is, is going to be a hub and uh, really be keen for you to be a part of that. And uh, hopefully I can work with you on that. Thank you.
Thank you, Richard. Um, such a powerful message for us to hear. I feel like the, our hearts have been open to uh, what's going on in the world, and those stories were so incredible. So, and thank you for sharing the word as well. Um, suffering, perseverance, character, hope. And this hope does not disappoint us because he has poured his love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just stand right now.